Hello, and welcome to the Freedom Challenge online podcast. Here at the Freedom Challenge, we strive to do good by helping enslaved women and children to do more than you ever thought physically possible and to do it together by connecting women with a heart for a hurting world. We hope you enjoy your time being informed and encouraged with host Tracy Doherty and our amazing guests. So let's get ready and join Tracy for this week's episode. Well, hello there, Freedom Sisters and listeners. Thank you for joining me today. And as you know, we just wrapped up January, which was the Human Trafficking Awareness Month, as well as the Freedom Challenge Live. And for any of you who missed the Freedom Challenge Live, it was pretty phenomenal. You can still get a hold of that content if you go to thefreedomchallenge.com. You can register on that link and you'll receive on demand of the Freedom Challenge Live. At the conference, we got to hear from frontline workers in the many countries that we have had the privilege of partnering with through the years, countries that are impacting and bring freedom to women and children. And we have been continuing this discussion into February with two brilliant Christ followers that are making a transformational impact in the U.S. And on our last episode, Esther Nelson from Safety Compass, we had a really engaging conversation, and I I really want to encourage you to listen to that. If you haven't, you will be inspired by her work in the Portland area. But today, I am so honored to have Dr. Christina Crenshaw. She's joining me from Texas And we're going to continue our discussion on what this, what this looks like in the U.S. And I want you to hear a little bit more about her life, the work that she does, and just the general brilliant person that she is. She is a personal friend of mine, and she's also a freedom sister. So some of you may remember way back, way back, seems like forever ago. 2017, Estes Park, Colorado, Dr. Christina Crenshaw came and she did some education with us on what modern day slavery looks like in the U.S. And she is um, also, hey, get ready. This woman is a professor. She's a researcher. She's a writer. She's a speaker. And she is an anti-human trafficking advocate. She has her PhD in education, and she has worked with A21 Campaign, Unbound Now, the Heart of Texas Human Trafficking Coalition, and she has been on the Texas Governor's Human Trafficking Task Force. So she comes to you with a lot to say, but also she's she's a mom, and she is um, she's a she's a freedom sister. So with that being said, I welcome Dr. Christina Crenshaw. Would you talk to us a little bit about your background, your life, and maybe just on a personal level, Christina, how this last year has impacted both your worldview and the highs and the lows and in between? Yeah. Well, thank you, ladies, so much for having me. It It's an honor to be here. Um so a little bit about me. I, yeah, I think my, my proudest accomplishment is that I am a, uh, a wife and a mom of two adorable boys. Christopher is now nine years old and Corbin is seven. I know because you, Tracy, witnessed, I mean, you were there for when they were born and little tiny babies. 
So they are now in elementary school in third and first grade. And um, I would say that that is and really has been my, you know, biggest accomplishment, but also full-time job, even in the midst of, of teaching full-time. Um, yeah, you know, just being a mom, being a wife, um, because when I get to the end of my life, I want to, you know, look back and the thing I want to be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant, is how well I stewarded my family. So that is part of my calling. Um, I'm also a professor. I teach as a full-time lecturer at Baylor University. I have taught an array of different classes, so I have kind of a unique background. I have taught in the School of Education, and I've taught social issues and education leadership in education. I have taught faith and writing classes, and then I also teach through the Honors College a um, anti-human trafficking uh, colloquium, which is essentially kind of like a conference, like where you would go and students read, and then you have a discussion over the reading, and it's on human trafficking. And yeah, so that's a little bit about who I am and what I do. Um, I People often ask, well, how did you get involved in this work? There aren't a lot of people in academia doing this. There, there are, you know, numbers are growing and that's great. We need all of the researchers we can get. That was actually a big uh, push of the last presidential administration was to get more researchers involved in this. But when I was out in California and I was a professor out at California Baptist University and I went on a maternity leave, a mutual contact from the A21 campaign put us into conversation. And at the time, they were writing anti-human trafficking curriculum for high school students, and they needed some help with that. And since you know, curriculum is really my area of expertise, I decided to kind of help lend um, that experience to what they were doing. And the thing about human trafficking is it's just one of those issues that once you know, you cannot unknow. And, um, you know, ever since then, you know, almost 10 years ago, it's just been this passionate pursuit of mine to be able to bring awareness and education and research um, to an area that I feel like is not only bipartisan work, which is nice and hard to come by these days, but it is kingdom-minded work. It is bringing light to the dark places. Um, and, you know, I can think of, you know, a few other places where you really get to see the redemption and restoration of um, the Lord on people's life like you do people coming out of anti-trafficking or out of addiction to you know, some of the things like pornography that surround human trafficking. Yeah. Yeah. I love your family so much. And just hearing about these little boys and, and like, it shocks me. Christopher is nine. I wow. know. Good job, mama. I love watching you even from afar. For those who don't know, Christina used to live in California and now she lives in Texas, as she said. And so watching how her journey in in this space and educating and just being a kingdom thinker has been very inspiring to us. And um, one of the questions I wanted to hear about, you know, when you're talking about um, the online piece of human trafficking and how this last year and what we've all walked through in 2020 has impacted that dynamic kind of driven some of those pieces even farther underground, right? So um, 
how I want to hear, how have you seen this last year impact uh, human trafficking in the U.S.? And then also from your own world view, like how, how have you walked through all this? You know, what are some of the highs and the lows that you've experienced in this last season? Yeah. So specifically with um, 2020 and anti-trafficking work, I think I, I sort of suspected this week two of lockdown. You know, we, we, we all had hoped that this was something we could combat within a couple of weeks and we would go back. But when it became evident that that wasn't going to be the case, it kept me up at night thinking about kids in vulnerable homes. And I worried, I think all of us who have sort of a pulse on education and kids and particularly vulnerable kids worried about that as well. And I think that there was, you know, maybe some hope that the human trafficking would subside or that it wouldn't be, you know, so egregious as it was in in previous years, but that proved to not be the case. You know, human traffickers did not stop because of COVID. And what we did see an increase, and I believe that this this is National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, it was over a 100% increase. I want to say like 108%. It was, you know, kind of an odd number there. Because children were at home, they were in lockdown sometimes, oftentimes with people who were not trustworthy uh, supervision. Then you also saw this increase of kids who unwittingly, unknowingly exposed themselves to traffickers through online, um, you know, sexual exploitation through, you know, different people reaching out in different platforms. So you you saw... Um, a real increase in online exploitation. So that's always been an area of concern, but you saw this explosion of that in 2020. What I think was enlightening and simultaneously disheartening for me is that I was overseeing um, an honors college thesis, an undergrad student who was writing this big paper. And And I've had several students do this, maybe four or five, but she was the first that I had write specifically and exclusively on online child exploitation. And she and I would have to have weekly touch-ins, heart-to-heart, like, how are you doing? It was just some of the darkest, most grieving information that we would read, Um, you know, coming out of the FBI, coming out of National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And Really, the FBI and other uh, governmental entities, there's now, I think, like 19 under one branch that uh, former President Trump had aligned. But these 19 entities were flooded, so overwhelmed with images that they could not keep up. And they're trying to loop in big tech and, you know, big tech is somewhat cooperative. You know, it's this long thesis. But because of freedom of speech and expression, it's just really difficult to crack down on this, unfortunately. So I think that for me, that was a paradigm shift. Whenever I have talked about human trafficking, particularly with you know domestic and minor, I have always more pictured social media as being a way that traffickers lure vulnerable youth. And, and, and it is. But I did not realize how prevalent it was for um, traffickers to actually exploit their victims exclusively through online platforms. Um, you know, I, I, there's been an increased awareness with Pornhub 
thankfully, there's been a crackdown on, you know, what they've been allowed to do, um, you know, making sure that videos that, you know, exploit youth are taken down. So I think a lot of good has come out of 2020, but it has been a year of ripping off rose-colored glasses in a way that we can no longer turn our eyes and say, well, we didn't know because we know more than now, the, even the average citizen, than we ever wanted to know. And it is grievous. Yep. I, and to your point about Pornhub and Exodus and all of the, I mean, there, there was a lot of raising of voices in that regard and some really great movement. So I think it's, I appreciate you sharing both the the gravity of the issue, but then also some of the the positive forward movement that has happened. And I, I think we can look at both of those and it's encouraging for, it spurs on our prayer life. It spurs us on those of us who want to get involved on in a practical level to um, learn more about, you know, those things specifically um, with Pornhub. And how, how long was that going on? That was like for a couple of years, um, young people were being, you know, these things were being asked to be taken down and finally some real movement happened with that. Do you, do you know a little bit about that? You know, I don't know that I know much more. I follow all of those accounts and people often tag me. And so I try to stay um, up to date. I do know that Exodus Cry, um, an anti-trafficking organization, was was sort of leading the way on that. They were one of the forerunners of that. They're a faith-based organization as well. Um, so I, I know that they received a lot of support. They actually also received some, you know, unwarranted pushback, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, that's another story. But mostly, largely, people supported Exodus Cry. I think, too, being in lockdown just forced us to reconcile what is going on online. Our kids were online doing online school. Our work moved exclusively online. You know, we start to hear these stories of exploitation online. So I think that, you know, maybe at this point in 2020, the average citizen knows that human trafficking exists. But I think, again, that 2020 gave it a level of exposure that equipped us with the education we needed to really crack down on, on what was going on, particularly online. I agree. You, where I want to go next is I want to talk a little bit about your involvement in Estes Park a few years back. And the funny thing is, is I really just wanted you, I wanted you to share your gift, your insight, what you've done in this space with the women, um, help us expand our biblical worldview, which you do so well. But in that, we kind of threw in it and you could go on a hike with us. And I just want to crack up here, all of you who are listening and might remember Christina, she was opening, I, I think you were opening either your hiking boots or your poles or your, I, I can't remember, but it was like no water bottle. Um, but I just, you know, just bringing some light and some fun memories back. Can you talk a little bit about that? And, and, and also maybe on a, an encouraging note, like how do you see freedom challenge, like our scope and our impact in the world? You experience some of that. And I'd just love for you to talk personal and then um, a little bit about that. Yeah. So 
Um, I think, yeah, back in 2017, I had been asked and invited a number of times at that point to speak. And, you know, typically if you're speaking at an event, you kind of like roll in a few hours before you do your talk, you, you know, maybe stay behind for Q and A and then you leave. Um, you're like, I, not often do you like stay for the whole conference or that sort of thing. So I didn't have a grid for that. You know, it was like, Hey, you know, come from Texas to Colorado and you're going to stay the whole week. And so I was like, cool, (laughs) I'm on board. I've just never done that before. Um, and then I had not ever really hiked. I mean, Texas is flat. It's, there's some hills in like South, uh, you know, West Texas, but there's, I mean, it's a pretty flat state. So our hiking is is pretty flat, and I'm just not. I'll go ahead and say it. I'm just not really an outdoor girl. <laughs> kind of more of an indoor girl. So I, but I was up for doing it, and then I was up for trying. Um, so I go to like academy a couple of days before we're supposed to leave, and I buy some mediocre hiking shoes. Like not good for snow, not good for really hiking, just good for kind of walking trails. I didn't know. Then I, I think, did I buy poles in Colorado? I don't know how I got them on the plane, but I, I had not. I was taking them out of the package at Estes Park. But the funniest part, um, and I love that you had this much faith in me, but you put me on the medium paced team. So everybody else had like hiked Everest. And <laughs> I'm like, how does this like water bottle in my backpack work kind of thing? So it was really funny, but I will say I was so encouraged by the mission of Freedom Climb. I was so encouraged by Kathy, the founder's vision for it and that it came to fruition. I loved that these women had made huge sacrifices, physical, financial, in order so, to support this anti-trafficking work. And just the symbolic beauty of it all, that this is the women making sacrifices for the sake of other women, and not just in the name of being pro-women and pro-feminism, which sure it is, but really for the sake of the kingdom, because that is what the kingdom is, that the kingdom is all about redemption and restoration for men and women. And and so I just loved everything about it. And I fell in love with the people and I fell in love with... Um, the mission and the, you know, the hiking, I was like, that kicked my tail, but the women were amazing. And I'm just so tethered in the spirit now to the work that you guys are doing. So that means you're going to Kilimanjaro with us in 2020. (laughs) Ah. (laughs) I'm the easy team. I need to be on I'm not sure if there's an easy team on that one, but I am certain that you are more than capable. You are one of the, one of the, uh, most strong, resilient, and brave people I know. So I want to ask you this question. One of the things I love about you is how passionate you are about educating people, not just young people, which you love, but men and women, and helping them just have a more informed biblical perspective, especially on issues of justice. So would you say a little bit more about that? Just give us your high-level thinking on that. Okay. So to take you a little bit into that journey, I think I first started thinking about this when I was in graduate school, when I was in my doctoral program. And this would have been, you know, 2011, 2012, um, 
2010, you know, the, that kind of period, about 10 years ago. And I was teaching this social issues in education course. And it's a little embarrassing that it took me until my late 20s, early 30s to realize this, but I, I realized in teaching that course that your worldview matters for everything, for everything that you do in life, everything you think, everything you feel, everything you engage. And as I'm teaching from this uh, markedly secular book on social issues in education, which is, is fine. You know, it's, it's all of these secular educators and thinkers, and my students should think through this. I realized it was up to me at a Baptist Christian University to also bring in a Christian worldview that really scripture already says everything we need to know about justice, that it that justice was God's idea long before it was society's. And if you Amen. look at even, yeah, and, and I think that that really is a, a, a message and a word for the time we're living in now. 10 years ago, that wasn't even as controversial to say as it is now. You know, so I will hear these different theories and frameworks and, and I see in them and I'm like, I, I see truth in there. I see a lot of things that are not true, but I can see threads of truth and it's because they point back to scripture, you know, loving the marginalized, the least of these, the, the orphan, the widow, doing justice, walking humbly, loving our neighbor. You know, these were really all tenets and testaments of God's people long before they were in vogue for social justice. So I started thinking about these things about 10 years ago. And then specifically, you know, with getting a PhD in education, was thinking about, okay, how does a Christian worldview impact praxis? In other words, you know, how we end up doing something or engaging the world. And does that make a difference? And so what I found in doing this research, and I met with professors from five or six different Christian universities, really respected universities. And I, and I found in conversation with them, talking about worldview, talking about justice, that somebody with a completely secular, humanistic perspective can do the same kind of justice. But what it really comes down to is our heart motive for why. And as believers, you know, we are doing everything unto the glory of God or for a kingdom on earth perspective, that we're not just doing this for humanity. I mean, we love people and we do it, but humanity can be pretty terrible. And I can't just get out of bed in the morning just for the sake of the person next door. Like I need a worldview that gives me a reason even beyond that to something supernatural. And I think that's what scripture does for us. You know, we love our neighbor. Why? Not because they're always a great person because they're not always. We love our neighbor because God loves them, because they were made in the image of God and because it brings him glory when we do it. And so I think that nobody had really walked me through that until my late 20s, early 30s. And so I think putting justice in conversation really with the biblical worldview on this creation, fall, redemption, restoration gave me a more robust understanding of God's heart for fighting human trafficking because it's the same idea. You know, we are rescuing people to get them out of these terrible, dire circumstances and to give them hope and to give them life and, and, you know, all of these great ideals, American ideals even, but really just 
global justice ideals. But where, what is our touchstone for knowing what is good, knowing what is truth, knowing what is life and freedom and justice? Like we need a touchstone for that. And that's really what scripture does for us. It gives us that touchstone. Yeah. It's really broadening, like what is our why? And I, and I love the point that you said, like, sometimes our why is not just informed enough by just human um, compassion, but when it's fueled with the, the, the passion of the God of the Bible, knowing that these ideals are his, that they're in us and we're driven with them because of the fact that we're made in his image, it really does bring a whole different shifting and framework to why we would get involved in what we would do. One of the things I I really respect about you, Christina, is your heart for the church, the big C church, the local community, and even having a voice into that. So maybe you would share with us just the responsibility that we have as God's representatives in this world, his church, his bride, to, you know, local communities and in the bigger place of, of engagement. Yeah. So, you know, lately my heart has been so heavy for the Big C Church. I just, you know, do you ever feel like you are listening to your parents fight and you just want to say like, hey, for the sake of unity, for the sake of raising healthy children, please stop. And I've just felt that way the past couple of years, but particularly coming out of 2020. And I just, I wish, you know, it's like, a metaphor in my mind is just wrapping my arms around an arguing mom and an arguing dad and saying like, but look at all the things you agree on and look at all the people who are hurting, who need you, like get over these petty fights. So I don't know if I have, you know, pragmatically what that always looks like other than that really is always my heart. If you love God, you believe Jesus is the only way to heaven, and you believe there's a real enemy out to kill, steal, and destroy, then we're on the same team. You know, we may not agree on all of the little theological nuances, and I know that that is important in certain circumstances, but at large for the work that needs to be done, whether it's human trafficking or homelessness or hunger, we really can be a unified big C church working for the common good. And our work can be done in a way that is winsome to inviting other people to do it with us. That is winsome in showing the gospel. And so again, I don't want to, you know, gloss over, I realize that some of these nuanced conversations are needed, but I think unless you are a theologian at a seminary or a pastor leading a church that the average citizen really can just say, you are my brother and sister in Christ, and we are going to go be Jesus to a lost, hurting, and broken world. We're not going to worry about these, you know, divisive issues. So yeah, I I really do appreciate that about anti-trafficking work. I have met people within this, uh, you know, area of activism that have been so antithetical to the gospel. They, they, they do are not believers and they're doing great work and the Lord is working through them. I have met so many people who are faith-based. I think this really lends itself to faith-based work. This is work that the church can easily engage and should engage because again, it speaks to redemption and restoration and, and that's what anti-trafficking work is and that's what the gospel is. So mm. yeah, I think uh, my heart, go ahead. 
Tracy. Yeah, I was going to say, let me ask you this question. Just when you're you're talking here, I'm thinking about sometimes I wonder, is, you know, this idea of this mom and this dad and they're fighting and the kids are just like, come on, can't we just get along? There's stuff to do. I, I can so resonate with that picture, even in um, what we're talking about. My question is, do you think that, um, of course, social media and all of these platforms to say these little sound bites that are just kind of pulled apart and slung out there. There's sometimes I go, I wonder if it's that it divided or if we're just hearing more about the division and the everyday Christ follower is actually really eager to do the work of the kingdom building. I don't know. What do you think? Do you just think it's louder because it's, I mean, I, I, when I talk to everyday people, there's such a a resolve in their heart to want to get engaged. And granted, maybe I'm just around a lot of remarkable people with the Freedom Challenge and I need to get out more. But I'm curious, do you do you see it just splashed bigger because it's out there on social media? Or you know, what I think, Tracy, I think it's both. You know, I think it's both and. So have you seen the documentary, the um Social Dilemma? Yes. Okay. So I, I think that that, I, we watched that sometime in lockdown and quarantine, and I would recommend to your listeners, if you have not seen The Social Dilemma, it's not faith-based, but it is informative. And really what it speaks to, I don't think they ever explicitly say this, but it's it's the gist of it, is that your worldview shapes the way that you interact with the world. And so if your worldview is only being shaped by a really conservative echo chamber, whether that's politically or theologically, then that is going to affect the way you engage the world. If your echo chamber is only filled with people who are politically and theologically really progressive, then that's going to be your praxis for engaging the world as well. And so I do think there's truth that I do think that we are very polarized and sort of the data that they showed in this documentary was that we are, we're really more polarized on those issues than ever. But I think it is because we are allowing social media to be our echo chamber. One of the beauties being in academia is I have had to do the hard work of thinking through really secular narratives. I have not made it out of a PhD program not thinking through critical race theory or feminist theory or, you know, all of the other critical theories that are out there. I've had to write papers applying that theory. I have had to read the people who are espousing these works. And I've learned to put that in conversation with a Judeo-Christian worldview and I think that has helped keep to me, keep me centered. I do find that if I'm listening only to one side of the spectrum, that I start to think that way. And I have to pull myself back to, to center gravity, but then also truth. I am, I, I mean, fun fact about me, I'm actually taking seminary classes right now. I don't need a fourth degree. <laughs> you are something else, Christine. I yeah, that's yeah, a whole podcast on Enneagram threes. But um, but really my heart behind it, Tracy, is I I want to know truth for myself. You know, I I want to learn from people that I trust who do this for a living to provide for me a framework and a way of thinking through hard issues. It's an apologetics program. So I'm not willing to let the world just think for me. I want to think for myself. 
But back to your original question, I think our heart is to find unity and common ground because scripture indicates that that's God's heart. I think when we live in an echo chamber, when we're only listening to one side of the story, that we get caught up in that narrative and we become less empathetic or less critical thinkers to the other side. I will add, I think it's very important to listen to the experts. Everyone thinks they're an expert these days, but I would say on both sides of the aisle, go to the people who have evidence and fruit of whatever it is that you you want to learn about. You know, like I said once on social media, I don't go to Dr. Timothy Keller for my epidemiology and I don't go to, you know, Dr. Fauci for my theology. Like, you know, you got to know your experts. So, so good. So important, Christina, for us to have a biblically informed why. Like, why are we doing what we do? Why do we believe what we believe? And the the exhortation to to be warned when all we're doing is gathering data from, you know, those that say they're experts in certain areas. And most of that is coming from social media. So really appreciate your thoughts on that. I didn't even intend to bring that up, but I just wanted to hear what you think about it. So, hey, as we close, what are some practical resources for everyday men and women, the big C church, the local community, mom and dad, Coming into 2021, how do we go deeper in these areas? Do you have some books, some resources, some things that you would say, this is an excellent starting place. This is an excellent continuing place. So I would say specifically on understanding anti-trafficking from a Christian worldview, you know, sort of a Christian perspective on this work. I recommend Raleigh Sadler's book called Vulnerable. Um, Essentially, it's a book about how God made us all vulnerable. And in our vulnerability, that's how we're able to relate to people that we would typically call vulnerable within our human trafficking circles. Um, So it's this idea that we're all vulnerable in some place, but that, you know, traffickers exploit that vulnerability. And out of our faith-based vulnerability, we can empathize and then engage that work. So I appreciate his his book on that. I would mm. say if you're looking for like a book on justice, um, Timothy Keller is kind of my go-to. I just really mm-hmm. trust the things that he is saying and writing and speaking. He has been a great resource for me. Uh, lately, not necessarily just on justice, but on, on racial reconciliation, Be the Bridge, Latasha Morrison, yes. Tony Evans. He's a pastor, Dr. Tony Evans out of Dallas. Those have been some resources, which is, you know, a justice-related issue. If you're looking for human trafficking facts, and this has always been a little problematic because people will have different, you know, facts depending on what website you're looking at. Um, Department of Justice, Department of Homeland Security, uh, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, Polaris, there's some debate, but I have found Polaris to be pretty reliable for the things that I'm needing to, to look up. So those are some really good places to go if you are wanting to put together, you know, anything that requires statistics or resources, um, that sort of thing. There is now an entire website joining all of these entities. I think there's 19 under it. So I think it's like called the President's Human Trafficking Human Trafficking Task Force. And it's got like the Department of Justice, Homeland Security, FBI, um, 
those kinds of different organizations who are doing anti-trafficking work. So um, those websites, you know, Border Patrol, ICE, um, those actually have some great resources too if you're wanting just facts. And then for faith-based things, um, the A21 campaign, um, Freedom Climb, you guys have some great resources, particularly with overseas. I've seen Mm -hmm. on your website with work that you guys have done overseas. Operation Mobilization, although I think they link back to you guys, don't they? Yeah. Yes. OM is our mothership. Christina, it is, I I just want to say thank you for just giving us um, your perspective, sharing your heart, your life, um, challenging us. I I am really hoping that everyone listening is feeling challenged to go in the show notes and go a little deeper. Ask yourself a few more questions. Be, uh, Be okay. Like really, we have to start getting really okay with the tension of not knowing all the answers but going and seeking them out from like what you said, experts, finding those places, digging deep, asking questions and getting comfortable with, I don't know, but I'm going to go dig up some truth. So I'm, I'm really hoping that all of us can feel um, exhorted into that place. I want you to know that I appreciate you um, as a person, as a mom, as a kingdom builder, a co-heir of the kingdom, I always learn from you. And I'm not even kidding. I really do want you to come to Mount Kilimanjaro with us. But more, we'll talk privately offline. But um, thank you. Thank you, friend, for being here with us. Um, we well, thank appreciate you so much for having me. It is an honor um, to talk with you guys. Yes. And I see you as a freedom sister. So thank you everyone for joining us today. And until next time, let's continue to do good, helping enslaved women and children to do more than you ever thought physically possible and to do it together with women who have a heart for a hurting world. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Freedom Challenge online podcast. If you liked what you heard, join the fight to set women and children on a pathway to freedom across the globe. We are a proud ministry of Operation Mobilization USA and encourage you to learn more at thefreedomchallenge.com and omusa.org for how you can get involved. Follow us on Facebook, on Instagram at the FCUSA, and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to let us know what you think. We'll see you next time.